What does it mean Messiah matters? It means apart from him we can do nothing. It means he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeshua is the only way of salvation. He is everything. We have to have the Tanakh to know the Messiah. But we have to have the Messiah to know the Tanakh. Without Messiah, we have nothing. Basically, it's all about the Messiah. It's Wednesday, April 25th, 2018. This is Messiah Matters number 215. Grabbing live wires and feeling electric. My name is Caleb Hegg. <laughs> and with me, the man who writes scathing emails to college professors but never sends them, Rob Banhoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, man? Shalom. Yeah, so last night, I uh, one of our switches in the kitchen, in the, in the kitchen, our, our light switch was on a dimmer. Don't ask. It's a long story. Anyway, there was a dimmer switch in the kitchen, and uh, it broke. So I went down to the hardware store, got myself a, a, a normal light switch, decided to switch it back from you know dimmer to regular, Uh-oh. because why not? And uh, you know, there's an extra wire. Didn't know what that was for, but decided to cap it. And I did, but then uh, you know, I turned the electricity on just to make sure it was working. It was working. And I grabbed the thing. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> oh, is the ground? That was the ground. No. Well, yeah, oh. I, I grabbed the side. I grabbed the side. It, it was anyway, it's a whole thing. But I but I'm I'm fine. I don't know why, but our, our uh, video seems to be uh, uh, doing something weird here. I wonder if I should. Uh, I mean, it, it has to be like an Internet connection or something, right? It keeps it keeps jolting. Anyway, how's it going, Rob? How you been, man? Writing scathing emails? No, it's going well. Um, just, you know, we're we're still very much, you know, in this world. You know, we're not of the world, but we're in the world, you know, to, to be in the world. But, uh, but this is where God has put us, and he's given us uh, his word and, of course, the Ruach to guide us. Um, but uh, we encounter all sorts of crazy teachings and ideas that get uh, that get traction among people, and then it feels like we got to go kind of help people sort things out. No doubt. And and uh, so, but you know, sometimes I get discouraged or I get upset, you know. But it's like, you know what? I mean, wh- I mean, think about Yeshua himself, you know, dealing with people, you know. And Paul clearly in his writings is dealing with people. Um, and so I think there's a, an element uh, for, of this for all who desire to, to uh, live a life of, uh, you know, pleasing to God and to seek, seek his will and to, to live in integrity with his word, etc. as we encounter the things that are out there and, and we have to take a stand. It's just your vitter, video. That's uh, it's just freaking out. You know, we got to get to, we got to get to Rob some 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 good internet. No, I think we. Yeah, I'm looking into that. So, yeah, we got to get you got to get you better internet. There's no doubt do about I, it. Do you want no, me to hang up and call you back? No, 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 no. It's okay. Well, what do we think, people? Chat room, tell us. Should we uh, should we have uh, Rob hang up? The problem is, is that we'll lose everything and we'll have to start. We'll have to. I'll have to start over again. Don't worry about it. We'll we'll okay. let people endure. Okay, so, um, yeah, let's get to it. You know, I, I had an interesting uh, uh, question posed to me last night. This is in um, messenger format. In other words, somebody contacted me on, on Facebook. They wanted to know what denomination I was. This is an interesting question in and of itself because, I yeah, mean, it is. When, we come, when we come out of uh, the Christian church, um, and maybe coming out of the Christian church is the wrong uh, term. Let's not use that term. When we, um, when we come to an understanding that uh, believers 
um, that believers are sanctified through the Torah, all of the Torah, then I think we tend to obviously it 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 reshapes our theology, right? It reshapes kind of the way that we we view the Bible, the way that we view um, everything, right? Um, and and we do have to relearn some things, right? Now, there's several aspects to this. First of all, I told the person that uh, I was a Torah observant, uh, doctrines of grace, leaning towards Baptist. Now, this really is not a very good description, right? Because there's so many more descriptors that need to go with it. In other words, you know, you could throw in something like Pado Baptist because I don't believe that we should uh, 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 baptize infants. But really, Pado Baptism was a uh, was a uh, it was kind of a, a form of replacement theology in and of itself. So that's not a good description. So I don't believe in infant baptism, though. I'm also not a sacramentalist um, in that I don't believe that the sacraments of like um, you know. I don't. I don't believe in the sacraments the same way that the church does. In other words, I don't believe. I don't take communion the way that the church does. I don't. Uh, you know, I, I view uh, baptism perhaps a little bit uh, different than than the church. Um, maybe not. Maybe baptism. I would say we're probably on on board. You know, pretty much. Um, but I guess the point is, is that uh, you know, there's many different things that you have to say because when when you say Baptist, even within Baptist. You have all sorts of different kinds of Baptists. You know, you have people, you have Baptists who don't believe in the doctrines of grace. You have uh, Baptists. So, but my father was a Baptist pastor. Well, my, I shouldn't say that. My grandfather was a Baptist pastor. My father was a non-denominational Christian pastor leaning towards Baptist, I would say. And so... Um, Caleb, yeah. but real quick, if, if, I want to take this up one notch and just talk about all the hyphens yes. that you have, that one has to use today. Like, like... Because we're going to get into this idea of the word Judaism, right? When we right. get into one of our topics today, the article, if we get that far. But then we have, well, Messianic Judaism, right? We we need to add a qualifier, right? Because there, Judaism, well, it's conservative Judaism. No, it's Orthodox Judaism. Then you have a hyphenated of Orthodox. No, it's ultra-Orthodox right, right, right. Okay, and then just like you're saying in the Christian world, you have you can't just say Baptist. That'll get you only so far. Okay, so you're not Mormon, right? I mean, they're like, these are the back, remember a couple of years ago I wrote an article, Duplo Legos. These are like the giant Lego blocks, right? But you yeah, can't building build, upon. Yeah, you can't build any precise, workable, they're not a tool, right? It's not so. something you get much work done with. So what do you do with these hyphens? When we find ourselves in a situation where we have to use all these hyphens, There's is it reason. showing that our inherited categories are just not helpful at all? But here's the thing, is that these, these, uh, these categories are helpful for certain reasons. Uh, Paul in the chat room says, can't we, can we not just say we try to walk like Christ? Every Christian says that. That's what every Christian says. Every Christian, it doesn't matter. Well, if I, I agree. I, no, I agree with what he's saying, but right. the, there's a reason why we can't just say that. Right, exactly. Because the Mormons, the Mormons, the Mormons say that they, <laughs> the Mormons say that they're trying to walk like Your Christ. Mom goes to college. <laughs> it's it's uh, Torah observant Christian. I see now. Now here's the thing that I've been I've been uh, I've seen whole Bible whole Bible Christian. Right, that's a good. I mean, okay, but oh, so instead of a half Bible, right? I mean you. Every so, term you, you have to, you have to expand. Right, you have to expand. Uh, the, you know, uh, PJ is right. Uh, Torah observant Christian is a good one, and I actually really like the term Christian. And the reason why is because it's a biblical term. Right, Christian is in the Bible. Yeah, they called them Christians. So I mean, we're talking about biblical terms here when we talk, talk about Christian. You don't find messianic. And they were Jew or Gent. They were Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. Christianoi. You don't feel you don't see Messianic or or Hebrew roots in the Bible somewhere, but you do find Christians. So this is a term. So, ter so it, this is a, a in terms of history, terms or keywords will drift in meaning, right? Like we've talked about this one before. Like in the King James uh, version of the Epistle of James, he says, "If a man enter into your synagogue, you know, in gay apparel." Right. And then <laughs> in our day, 
the word gay means something very different. Okay, so so here's the thing. That's an extreme like, example. We got we got people we got people throwing out stuff in the chat room, which is great. But each one of these comes with its own little problem, right? The Nazar, uh, you know, some PJ says Nazarene. Well, the Nazarene Church is a very specific denomination, one that I don't necessarily agree with. You know, uh, Gary says followers of the Way. Well, the Way is also. A, uh, a a movement, and uh, you know, so now we have to, you know, no matter what we say, and, and you know, I've been accused. I, I wrote an article as well called "Why I'm Leaving the Messianic Movement," and it was all about these labels and these terms and the idea that there are people within the Messianic and Hebrew Roots movement who are who are denying the deity, the Messiah, or, or adding to the canon, or taking away from the canon, or whatever you want to say, falsely prophesying all these things. Do I really want to be associated with that? That was the whole point of the uh, of the article and when i wrote that article i had people uh specifically one one specific person uh just said oh you're so worried about labels and titles well here's the thing is that labels and titles are actually very helpful in other words i can say i'm i believe in the doctrines of grace now somebody else who knows that term the doctrines of grace now the person that i was talking to last night did not know that term so then i had to expand on it i had to tell them what i believe in the doctrines of grace means and uh, what I said was, uh, it's it's a lot like Calvinism. It is, you know, the five points of Calvinism, but I don't like to say I'm a Calvinist because Calvin was a replacement theologian, and I, I'm not a replacement theologian. And he said, well, I believe in the Bible, not the doctrines of man. Well, that's why I said doctrines of grace and not Calvinism in the right. beginning, right? Um, you know, We need to have words, right? We need you to, be use able to use words. I yeah. mean, we can't just sit around and just stare at each other, right? I mean, we at some point we need to talk. We need to communicate with each other. And and when God says, my my thoughts are not your thoughts, right? My As high as the heavens, I'm paraphrasing Isaiah 55, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so my thoughts are above your thoughts. Right. It doesn't mean his thoughts are inaccessible to us. He's given us the word. And then, and we don't just read, how come we don't just go to your church service, your synagogue service, and they just read you, okay, we're going to read the gospel of Matthew in Greek, here's our verse today, and then no one interprets it or explains it. It's just there it is. It's in Greek or or the Torah portion. Here it is in Hebrew, and then nobody says anything. That's not what happens. Right. We talk about it. We 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 break it down, and find it, we connect with it. We get nourished by it. And the only way that happens is through our our discussion and application. And we need to have words and language to do this. Um, but ultimately it's true that, that these labels only, uh, get you so far. So hang on just a sec. Paul keeps saying Judea Christian. This is, I'm sorry. I have to reject this one outright because well, first of it? all, Judaic Christian. Yeah. Or Judea, Judea Christian. I, Judeo I mean, Christian. the, 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 oh. fir, the first of all, there's a, a hyphen there too. Yeah. Judeo or Ju, Ju, Jewish or whatever you want to say, um, it can can mean bloodline. So the movement that I'm in is Jew and Gentile together. It's not just Jews. Second of all, uh, Jewish can denote Judaism, and I don't want to be associated with a lot of the modern Judaism. Right. Well, and here's the other thing: is when you put a hyphen Judeo Christian, it means Judeo is necessarily not Christian, and Christian is not is is necessarily not not Jewish. But as we talked about, Christianoi originally. Applied to both, right? Because uh, they were in Messiah. So, uh, I think these are all good attempts, and and I think they can all help you try to explain when if you're trying to have a you know conversation with somebody. But we have to ultimately recognize that what Yeshua says. You know, if we're trying to to please other people, then you know the reward is 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 nothing. He says. Let your light shine before men, right? But but that's your your worship of God in in sincerity and truth, and that they will they will see you, but they'll they'll because it's because you're in Him, and it's not about you. You're boasting in Him and on yourself, and 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 you're humble before the Lord. That that that's where the connection is is between real people who really have a new life in Messiah. And, and it's true. We don't have any one label. Paul just says in Messiah, right? 
Right. If you're in Messiah, you're a new creation. But well, this should this shouldn't be a bad thing though. Honestly, look, we we do use these terms to try to shorten the conversation, but no matter what, and you know, I think this is what you're saying and I think this is also PJ is making a good point in the in the uh, chat room right now. Um, but the, the the ultimate point is is that we do have to explain. And guess what? That's a good thing. When we have to stop and explain to people one of the things that comes from that is people asking questions of us. Okay, what do you mean by the doctrines of grace? Okay, what do you mean by Torah observant? What do you, you know? What do you mean by follower of Yeshua or in Messiah? What do you mean by these things? This is a perfect opportunity. We're supposed to go and make disciples of all the nations, right? Well, how do you do that if you're not talking to them? And all the nations includes you know Israel. So the point is, is that we're supposed to make disciples, and the way that we make disciples of Yeshua, not of ourselves, but of Yeshua, the way that we make disciples of, of Yeshua is by is by talking to people and by having these conversations. So I think that it's okay, you know, uh, the nice thing about all these little hyphens in between, you know, if you can string four hyphens together quickly, <laughs> is that people I'm say, a- whoa. Wait, you're going to have to explain. Yeah, time out. Explain that one. Or as my friend Adam told me, he said he tried that once and it was like too much information, dude. <laughs> That's what the guy told him. He's like, awesome. Okay, so let, let's let's stop real quick because I want to get to the cage effect or the, the cage syndrome. Um, okay, no, we yeah, we have a new. But, so but, there's, but hang on just a sec. Wait, wait. Before we do that, I want to tell everyone uh, this show. Messiah Matters number 215 is brought to you by TorahResource.com. Torah Resource has all sorts of free uh, materials, and, and uh, you can also buy materials there as well. Um, and i got to plug the library one more time. Uh, you know, there's a lot of good stuff that's going up in the library, including an unpublished lecture series by uh, Mr. Van Hoff himself, which will be up in the library probably sometime uh, by the end of this week, called Love Your Neighbor as Yourself. Uh, three, uh, three lectures that will be put up there in the library that will not be published on tour. Can they research. download the, the handout? Uh, if you give me the handout, they can. Okay. We'll get the handout. Um, but I mean, the point is, is that, uh, you know, the library, it's a hundred dollars a year. You have to pay the year in full before you get uh, access, but it is certainly worth it. Uh, but for those who don't have a library membership and, and, uh, uh, you know, still want to see Rob's teaching. Even though it won't be published, never fear. We will make it available at some point um, uh, for uh, for those who uh, don't have a library membership. Uh, of course, there will be, you know, it, it will come with a caveat, like a price or something like that. But uh, you'll still be able to access it at some point anyway. But uh, it just shows that our library members have uh, access to stuff that uh, that other people don't. And uh, the library membership is certainly worth it. So go to Torah Resource and Find all sorts of free stuff and other other things like that. Um, and then, of course, this show is brought to you, show 215, by our producers. Our producers are people who have uh, decided to partner with Messiah Matters on a monthly basis. You can do that for as little as $5 a month. That's right. For the price of a latte, you too can uh, continue this show reaching thousands of people every single week. It's an amazing thing. And, you know, I've, I've kind of been hyping this up. But I want to hype it up even more. Uh, we're, we're, we have this thing that we're thinking about doing, and, and uh, our uh, graphic artist, Michael, has has made some wonderful uh, T-shirts and mugs. And what we're going to do is we're going to uh, – basically, these will be a gift – a gift for a uh, donation amount or a large amount, and, but it's not really a donation because basically what you're doing is you're paying to produce a show, a specific show. And when we finally get these shirts and these mugs up, uh, you'll be able to go in and you'll be able to uh, write messages that we can read on air if you'd like. And um, if you producer, uh, you know, if you're an executive producer or an associate producer, and uh, we'll also have a list of different sound effects that you can choose from. And uh, if you are a producer of one of the shows, a uh, executive producer of one of the shows, you can choose several of the uh, of your favorite um, uh, sound effects, and uh, and we'll play them on air with your with your message, uh, something like cool. this. <laughs> we need that. We do not get a lot of humor here, and when we do, it's wonderful. <laughs> Man, I got a couple I really like. Okay, and before before we're off this topic, you need to look, have a website. You just tell we will. people to go, and it'll, we, it'll describe. It, like, it will. Yeah. It will have the whole thing, and I'll let everybody know when it's up. Uh oh. Um, okay. I don't know if everybody heard that, but if so, I apologize. And uh, then also, we love to get comments. Comment line, and this is a comment line two five three four six five thirty two zero five. That's four six five. I'm sorry, two five three four six five thirty two zero five. And of course, send us emails. 
Our email address is chag at torresource.com. chag at torresource.com. Okay. Um, the cage effect. That's what we were going to talk about, right? You mean the cage stage and Torah terrorism? Right. So we have two, those are two, dis, two separate, talking about terms, you know, sometimes we have to, we have to invent a new term. <laughs> right. So you've heard of the cage stage, right? And, and so, so wait, we, we should explain that for people. The cage stage is when somebody becomes a Calvinist. Um, it, it, it's called the cage stage when they first or become the doctrines, a, that they, the doctrines yeah. of grace. We'll just call it Calvinism because that's what people know. Yeah. But that, but when when uh, someone finally uh, turns to the truth of, of becoming a a Calvinist in terms of the doctrines of grace, uh, we call it the cage stage. And the reason why is because um, they get so zealous for the truth uh, because the truth is so obvious at that point that uh, other Calvinists will say that they need to be put into a cage. Uh, so that they don't damage other people or themselves in the process of being so zealous for the for the uh, truth, um, and so my suggestion was that we, as in in the Torah movement, whatever you want to call it, okay, insert label here. Um, but, uh, in the Torah movement, what happens is people come out of, uh, you know, a standard Christian belief and they come to a a belief that, uh, we should be keeping Torah and it's worse than the cage stage. It's not the cage stage. They don't just need to be put into a cage and, uh, to, uh, because what they do is they instantly turn beyond just regular, uh, this is right. This is wrong. Uh, in terms of Torah, they get all these crazy doctrines that are totally not true. And, and, and then it's like they're, they're, it's like a terrorist because they're willing to, it's like they're willing to die for something that is totally false and, and not grounded in truth. And what I mean by this is, you know, all of a sudden it doesn't matter who they're talking to. This person's an idiot and this person is wrong because they, you know, because they still go to a Christian church. Oh, you're, you know, you know, false religion, this kind of thing. And instead of cage stage. I think that uh, this is uh, this should be called you know this is Torah terrorist, and I think the, ca- we s- the cage stage is what the way I think about it is the cage stage is someone has latched on to a core, beautiful, amazing, precious truth that they that they're that is unshakable, and they're trying to hotwire it into other people's lives, right? That's what I see as the cage stage. They're trying to ha- use it just to hotwire it, to connect it into everybody's lives as fast as possible without respect to wisdom, uh, you know, or trust in God's uh, development. Whereas the Torah terrorism is different, isn't it, Caleb? It's, it's like zeal for wrong things. Right. right, exactly. It's a deal for false it's, doctrines, and not only that, but what what makes this uh, what makes Torah terrorism just so uh, so prevalent in in our in our time right now is that you have all these teachers who are not trained. Here's the thing that I've learned about myself. Okay, you know, I, I I talk a lot about my focus of study. My focus of study right now is Eucharistic studies, and or uh, meals and the meal customs in the in the um, first century. Now, the more I study this, the more I realize I know nothing. I mean, I know nothing. I am a total idiot when it comes to this. And I have the distinct feeling now that no matter what it was, is that I study, if I study as in-depth as I'm studying right now on meal customs in the first century, I will realize I know nothing about anything. In other words, when I look at these... Uh, uh, when I look at different topics in the Bible, I realize, well... I'm not, you know, I haven't done focused study in the book of Isaiah. So right. I don't know a lot of the nuances that are going on that a scholar in the book of Isaiah would be able to tell me about. Now, when I look at someone like, uh, for instance, Andrew McGowan is a, is a really good example of uh, someone that I'm interested in right now because he's written extensively in Eucharistic studies and meals in the first century. He's kind of one of these leading authorities in the topics that I'm really, you know, getting into and passionate about. When I look at someone like Andrew McGowan, I realize that we disagree fundamentally on a lot of things. He's an Anglican priest. Okay. So, I mean, obviously, he and I are going to um, are going to disagree on a lot of things. However, I don't 
assume that I will ever be at the level McGowan's at when it comes to Eucharistic studies and, and meal customs in the first century. He's also an expert in martyrdom throughout the church. Um, and so it, may, it makes me realize that I can't just walk into a room and think that I, you know, where Andrew McGowan is and think that I know more than Andrew McGowan because I keep the Torah. You know, because I believe all of the Torah is applicable for believers today. It means that Andrew McGowan has something to teach me. If we don't think about this from an aspect of, of scholars in general, in other words, these scholars might be wrong. We'll look at a, we're going to look at a, a uh, uh, article here in a few minutes. Uh, Paula Fredrickson is, is clearly off the deep end on a lot of things. But um, that doesn't mean that we throw all of scholarship or all of, all of these scholars in, in, their, in their respective fields out. We can't just say that scholarship no, is not Christian. Like with her, like her book, Augustine and the Jews, is brilliant. I, I, I mean, it's there's scholars that, and just like you were saying with with Dr. McGowan, to be a learner, to be a disciple means we are learners, right? Like Brian Rigg, learners of things. <laughs> no, does it mean we ne are? Does that mean we're always learning, never coming to knowledge of the truth? No, no, we're not. We're not. We're not like going door to door. Oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to spend time with this rabbi for a while. Oh, I'm going to go spend time and just like always like in in search mode. That's not what we're doing. We're slowly building. Well, God's building, right? Yeshua's right. Building, and our desire is to to be abide in His people, to abide among in and to how do we do that in this world? Back to being in the world, but not of the world. There are. The Bible was given in, in ancient languages, right? I mean, right there, just like we were talking about earlier. We gotta have you gotta have people, even even modern Israelis whose first language is Hebrew and they're fluent in Hebrew, it doesn't mean they understand the Tanakh when they read the Tanakh in Hebrew. Because you've got a language that has shifted. I mean, just try to read for those who speak English, read Chaucer or read, you know, um, What's the Wycliffe Bible or whatever, you know, I mean, you're like, oh, you know, there's you have to learn the language of Scripture. You have to. And and that takes scholars. It takes historians. It takes uh, teachers and it takes learners. You you know, everybody has. To, we're all in the seat of learner. And uh, in being in the world, we interact with other scholars that are doing work on the same thing. Archaeologists. Right? right. Or the scholars that are translating and putting together the Dead Sea Scroll fragments, you know, I mean, they might be Mormon, Orthodox, Jew, Christian or atheist, you know, and, but they're all working as a team to to restore, let's say, a Dead Sea Scroll. Right. We all benefit from that. We all benefit. So and so so we have to engage with that world, but we have to recognize that it's a the aims of that world that produces that high-level scholarship is not coextensive with the aims of us being believers in Yeshua. Right. We can benefit, but we have to filter. We have to filter it. And how do we filter it? You got to separate the wheat from the chaff. How well, do you know what's wheat? How do you know it's chaff? You look. You you have discernment. You have you have uh, you know the other thing about uh, the group that we're now call you know that we're referring to, and that we're not talking about any specific person, but. Um, you know, the, the people that, and I think everyone who's in the Messianic and Hebrew roots has either been this person at some time, or at least knows someone who has been this person, the Torah terrorist. And one of the things that tends to happen is a, a basically a, a, not a hatred, but a, um, maybe a hatred is the right word, but a rejection of anything Christian. If it's Christian, it's wrong. Jewish might be okay, but Christian wrong. You know, this is this is certainly uh, I think ignorant in and of itself. Uh, Helen asks, "Can I have some recommendations on which commentary writers are prominent to read as we go through the scriptures?" Well, um, you know, I to be completely frank with everyone, when I when I'm trying to prepare something or when I'm studying the scriptures, I never go except for my father. I always look at my father's commentaries uh, on things, if, especially, you know, if he's written specifically on a passage I'm looking at, because uh, his, you know, I think that he has very good insight, and he also references a lot of other scholars. And he's got solid bibliography that if right. you want to chase down any particular comment, um, that there's a pathway for you to do that. So, Besides him, though, 
there's almost no Messianic or Hebrew roots teacher that I'll go to to look at. If, yeah, I, I, if, I, if I'm looking at a text, if I want to know something about a text, Bruce Metzger, hands down, you know, he, he's done uh, stuff on New Testament manuscripts. And so he, he can give me backgrounds on New Testament ma- manuscripts. So Bruce Metzger, now he's going to be technical, of course, but uh, even for those who are the net by like Dr. Wallace, Bible. you know, oh, you've, perfect, got, yeah. you've got your your guys like this uh, that we depend on. But but when it comes to the messianic world, boy, I I mean, I, by God's grace, I'm part of the Torah resource team. I look at Ariel Berkowitz and Tim right. Hague. Yep. And if they haven't if they haven't written about one of these particular ideas, then I, um, you know, we'll start searching things out, you know, from there. But, um, you know, the, and then in terms of commentaries, there are, you know, the WJ, what is the world? Uh, anyway, the, Kyle and Dalich are always good. There's a, I mean, you know, there's a plethora of different. One of the nice things about having a Bible software is that usually it comes with a, a, a nice amount of different commentaries. And you can look at uh, different commentaries. You can look at uh, you know more liberal scholars, and you can look at more conservative scholars. And uh, the nice thing about that is that they're going to reference other people as well. And then you can go try to find those people. Um, you know, uh, so so it's not just. And, and here's the thing: Are they open? To, here's a question to ask. If we, I mean, because I believe we can learn from everybody. You, you'll get you know that's even a principle in Mishnah vote. I think you know, you, you know, have an attitude that this person you're talking to. That you could, that you have the ability to learn, learn something from everybody, and so I think in this, this all the more so in, in uh, like a society of biblical literature, you know. Now, uh, we don't have time to listen to everybody, so you got to start se- selecting who you're going to listen to. But if you can, here's a, a one question to ask: If you pick up a commentary, is this person open about their faith commitment? Are right. they? Are they? <laughs> No uh, doubt. Just pre- are they pretending just to be? I'm just a pure scholar, and I have, you know, because every human has an agenda. Right. Every human has an agenda, and a, a believing, you know, an Orthodox Jew or an Evangelical, they can still say at the beginning, okay, you know, this is my faith commitment. I'm a pastor. I'm a rabbi. Da da da. And I and so, part of my commentary might at times reflect some of my faith commitment bias. Right. And that's okay as long as we know up front. That way we know how to read the thing. But when you have someone who just seems to be coming as you know, this is the authority voice, and that's what I get from this Paula Fredrickson article. We don't know what her I mean, I don't she's not open about any kind of faith commitment. It's like she's just speaking authoritatively about what Paul meant. And it's like, uh it doesn't it's it doesn't really work that way. Um it does, you know, in the humanity, I think more and more people are uh, more and more scholars are writing in their in their books a little bit about their own bias because they recognize that they've got it and and uh, they're not going to try to hide it because then it, it, it's going to like affect their their what they're selling you know okay I, this is a uh, fantastic conversation but I I feel like we should move on because we do actually yeah. have t- oh, uh, yeah. two things that we want to talk about. First of all, this we'll try to make this quick because I think it can be quick if we don't get off onto rabbit trails on this one. PJ, who's in the chat room right now, uh, writes, he says, uh, this past Sabbath, Sabbath, we touched on Christology. I can't talk right now, sorry. Christology using uh, John 14, 28, which says, you heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And PJ asks, how was Yeshua different before ascending? And why didn't he ascend to the right to it uh, right away? I think he means to the right hand of the Father. Uh, rather than tarry on earth 40 days. This verse is used to show Yeshua as son and sent by the Father, so as to mean of a lower rank somehow, though he is God. Comment? Question mark. And my comment is this. We know from Philippians 2 that Yeshua emptied himself, Right. He did not think it necessary to retain his uh, position with God, but emptied himself uh, and humbling himself, becoming in the form of a servant, right? So he, right. Uh, uh, Yeshua is uh, there with the Father, right? He dethrones himself. We, I love using uh, Sproul's uh, use of, of mankind, which is he, uh, he dethroned himself and became like one of the creatures from the dirt, 
in order to save his elect. And um, my, my father has put this well. It means that in his incarnation, he submitted himself to the will of the Father. And I love this because basically— And John's gospel starts, just to, to put, the word became flesh. Right. And so Yeshua identifies with humanity fully. And when, right? he, this is, uh, when he empties himself, um, he becomes lower— he he does that intentionally. He you know he when Yeshua is on earth as a baby, he is not omnipresent at that point. He has given up that uh, that ability freely. It's not that. And then when he ascends to the Father, he had to raise from the dead um, to show that he was the Son of God. Right? If he went straight to the to the right hand of the Father, he would have just died, and no one would have thought anything more of him. He had to come and be with the disciples and and show himself as the resurrected Lord. And when he and I don't think he uh, was given all of his glory back. In other words, I don't think he got all of his divine attributes back until he did ascend to the Father, forty days but after. He, his but he retains he retains humanity. Absolutely. But through the Spirit, right, he is omnipresent now. In other words, I can pray to Yeshua right now and he hears me. How does he hear me? He hears me through his Spirit, who's with us always. He sent his Spirit to be with us. So I think this is what that means. Um, Okay, now to the topic at hand. That was quick. Good job, Rob. I'm impressed, man. All right, to the topic at hand. We're gonna go straight to. So we got the. Do you want to check the latest JBL? So this is a you can uh, four times a year the Journal of Biblical Literature comes out. Um, So this is volume one thirty seven number one. So. um, And of course, since since we're members of of the Society of Biblical Literature, uh, we are sent this. uh, You know, every quarter. Yeah. Well, you can. I think you could order a subscription without paying a membership fee too i mean but to uh, be honest with you if you're going to pay for the subscription just become a member and that way you can go to the uh to the uh annual meetings for for cheaper not only that i think uh the members through online you have access to all back issues digitally Yes. yes all the way back into the 1800s so consider that but just recognize you know that there's two articles here that are good well, are good for discussion. The one we're going to talk about is the Paula Friedrichson. But another one in there is a call to law, the Septuagint of Isaiah 8 and Gentile law observance. And this is Alex Douglas. He argues in his article that the the Greek translation of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 8 specifically, is translates the Hebrew in a way that... uh, says Gentile, the Gentiles are to come and observe the Torah of Moses. Um, but then sadly, at the very end of his article, it's just, it's, it's just a short article. He, at the very end, he's like, well, of course we know, he says, you know, Paul was against Gentiles keeping the practices of Mosaic law. So Paul must not have agreed with Isaiah 8 very much here. So he kind of fizzles. He, he starts out like a skyrocket and kind of fizzles at the end. But again, someone who's not coming from a a one Torah perspective, maybe he hasn't resolved, especially when he quotes Romans 9 as his justification. Um, so potential good stuff that, again, we have to to chew on and learn from. But, uh, yeah, the the article here that we're, the main feature today is the uh, by Paula Friedrichson. I have a few of her books. Uh, one I really like is a couple years old now, I think. Uh, uh, what is it? Augustine and the Jews. Saint, is it? Augustine, Saint Augustine, and the Jews, um, and um, yeah. So um, let me take over here for a second. Um, oh, the title of this, the article. Yeah, the, how, so, Jew- so, how Jewish is God? So is God Jewish? Yeah. How How Jewish is God? And then the subtitle: Divine Ethnicity in Paul's Theology. Now, I know that uh, that that Rob read this and got very. Uh, animated and uh well pre- perturbed yeah, uh wrote quite annoyed. a lengthy annoyed is probably one of the better words uh wrote quite a lengthy email uh, that never actually got sent probably wisely never got sent uh to miss frederickson but that's why you don't just like when you go to email somebody and it's heated don't put don't enter the email address in don't put anything into the send to 
uh, thing. So just in case you click send, it says that you don't have anybody in there. <laughs> See, here's the thing is that, uh, you know what? I, I understand your frustration. Because basically, uh, well, let's set this up a little bit because I'm going to actually uh, uh, perhaps focus on something that I, I think is actually good about this article. Okay. Um, but let's set the article up a little bit first. Basically, what she uh, starts out by saying is that um, culture in the ancient Near East um, was uh, predominantly governed by several things. And, and I think this is still holds true today. Those things are uh, location of the people group that is, uh, you know, where they live. Like, like territory. Territory. And gods and cult go hand in hand. And ethnicity. Ethnicity. Right? And then also, uh, you know, we can add some things to that today, right? Um, music is cultural, usually, you know. So, for instance, uh, you know, uh, in Mexico, you'll hear mariachi music. You might hear that a little bit up here, but really you don't. In in, in the U.S. where I live, uh, you know, it's going to be a different style of music. When you go to Sweden, they're going to have, you know, they have cultural music as well. Um, and also food, right? Food is, uh, you know, different regions have different foods. And, uh, you know, everybody likes the uh, food of their home their home place. And she brings that up. And basically what she tries to argue in the beginning of this article is that the gods of the ancient Near East took on, now stop me if I'm wrong or if you interpret it or if I'm interpreting her, her wrong, uh, they took on these cultural elements and became part of the, of the culture of the people. And the fa- she'll say uh, part of the ethnicity, right. part of the family. Right. I don't think, the- I, I, I tend to disagree with this from the get-go. And the reason why is because I think that uh, the gods were seen as elusive to the people and that the people were basically used as pawns in the... uh, This is where I would say, yeah, I I agree with you that I think her statements are too general. You'd have to, you have to look at every, you know, because different cultures are going to have different ways of understanding you know, whether there is a God or gods or whatever, you know, so, what, some people have multiple, some people have multiple gods. So for instance, yeah. And for instance, in the, in the Egyptian pantheon, right, you have, um, you know, you kind of have this, sometimes the gods are, are just great with each other. And, uh, you know, they're, they're bringing all this harmony to, uh, to Egypt and, you know, the Nile God is blessing them. And the, Again, and the stories, these are the stories. Yeah. The, the fertility gods are, are, are blessing them. And, you know, the heaven gods are blessing them and yada, yada, yada. And then all of a sudden, one of these gods in the pantheon will get upset and they'll go in the war against the other god or they'll play a trick on the other god or whatever. Him and, you know. Yeah, and and a lot of the time, this is shown through the... In other words, they, they kind of use the, the people as their pawns against one of the other gods. But they're not a personal god. Now, I will admit that obviously, uh, and continuing on with the Egyptian pantheon, the idea of Ra, that is, you know, the, the Egyptian pharaoh, you know, he's embodied this person and now he's uh, he's there with the people. The difference is, is that he ruled over the people. Right now, granted, Yeshua is going to rule over his people, too, but Yeshua came first as a servant. He was not seen from the beginning as deity. He was seen as a servant to the people. He was poor. He was, you know, he he really became one of one of Israel. I think that's one of the main differences um, from, you know, the, the raw and, and all these other gods. But the idea that they took on the ethnicity of, of, uh, the well, people. here's where she goes. Here, here's where she goes with it. I don't know if you finished the article. Here, no, no, here's keep, where no, she goes. I did finish it. She goes here. Basically Paul's, how do we understand Paul? Right. She's coming from the as a matter of fact, this article is dedicated to like the 40th anniversary of her one of her teachers, E.P. Sanders, Paul right. and Palestinian Judaism. So she's publishing this article as a to honor the anniversary of like 40th or 50th or whatever. Um, she's arguing that Paul had a Jewish message for Gentiles. Right. And and that it's the Jew. It's not that the Gentiles she goes to say the Gentiles had their own gods. Jews had their own had their own gods, but Jews believed their gods was their god was superior to the gods of the Gentiles, and so Paul had to go and take the message of of the god of the superior god out 
to the rest of the world or to the nations, and that he saw himself doing this as um, bringing them, you know, the gospel. Well, she she describes this. She frames this as Judaizing. Right. In other words, Paul to Judaize, she says, is to tell people who are other to behave in a Jewish manner. So in other words, she frames it that Paul goes out and tells Gentiles they need to behave Jewishly and adopt the Jewish God, the God who is Jewish, because he's the superior God. Uh, because only Jews know who God, who know the true God. So the idea is Israel knows God, the Gentiles don't know God. And so the, so Paul, as a Jew who knows God, needs to go out and tell non-Jews who don't know God how about the true God. And so what she does, though, in, in unpacking this, it sounds really simple. She says, what we think of Christianity today is actually anti-Paul. That's where she goes. Why? Because they've de-Judaized their faith. They've, they've, they've said they're not Judaism, where Paul was operating within Judaism. The other thing— And, and this is where I just—it's like, it's like there was a turn on the road, and she missed it, and her car just went through the thing, and it's now like— Okay, but gonna but, land. Hang on, just a second. Hundreds though. of feet below. The one thing that she's doing here. Now, I agree that that her conclusion on, uh, and especially the the, the uh, wording that she's using, I don't agree with her using the words that she's using, Judaizer and these kind of things. Okay, she's thinking of a monolithic Judaism. But one of the things that I think is good that she's doing is she's flying in the face of. A lot of these uh, people, even in the Messianic movement, who would say that the cultural aspects of the Torah that are Jewish culturally, and they will deem these as Sabbath, festivals, kosher, right? Um, so it, within uh, especially groups like the UMJC, they'll say, well, uh, you know, the Sabbath and the festivals and the kosher laws, these are Jewish cultural things. And it, Gentiles shouldn't be keeping them. They're distinct for right. Jews. She would Right. And, and what, she'll say that Jews have to keep, but what she's saying is that Paul wants Gentiles to be Jewish, but not too Jewish. This is my paraphrase. That's, and there's a borderline. And so she comes, says Paul's telling Gentiles not to be circumcised. She's telling them not to keep kosher laws. That's how she's, rep, she's misrepresenting Paul. I mean, she's using an old idea because those are only for Israel. Those are only special for Israel. So her article actually would feed well into like UMJ, well, I don't know about UMJC, but certain groups that are Torah for Jews only and the Christians, you know, like any Messianic group that says the Torah is uh, what we would call two Torah groups. Right. You know, or uh, bilateral okay. ecclesiology. Okay, but, but listen she to- feeds, her, her description of, of reality feeds into those people's theological outlook, and it's uh- wrong. I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you completely. But I want to read her the last uh, two p- two paragraphs. This might seem lengthy, but but stick with me here. Um, the last paragraph I think is actually interesting, and I think for the most part I would have to agree with it. Listen, listen to what she says. She says, The rhetoric, especially of Galatians and the habitual discourse of New Testament scholar, scholarship, obscure the ethnic spe- specificity. I'm sorry, specificity Specificity. of this behavior that Paul enjoyed on non-Jews. Enjoined. Enjoined, yeah. Meaning you need to behave in a Jewish way. Right. To Gentiles, yeah. Did I say enjoy? I'm sorry, enjoined. Yeah, enjoined, like commanded. Right. What is at stake if we acknowledge it? Nothing less, I think, than our conceptualization of Christian origins. Paul's message neither articulated nor embodied a parting of the ways. Agreed. I agree with that. Though by the second century, in some circles, he will be read that way, and it is still read that way today. Agreed. His argument with Peter in Antioch, notwithstanding, Galatians 2.4, Paul himself urged his ex-pagan pagans to Judaize. Okay, n- now we get into words that I think she's, this is a, she's, yeah, she's, yeah, this is wrong. Misguided. There's, there's in critical scholarship that she has not absorbed, and it's sad. She's kind of tunnel visioned. And there's other stuff going on, like at SBL and and Academy of American Academy of Religion things that would not people would not let her make these kind of comments. Right, historians. 
Okay, she says they would stop her very quickly. She's right. She says, and especially in light of his vivid eschatological expectation in foreshortened time frame, he never con- contemplated a movement separated from, much less antagonistic toward, the traditions and many of the practices of Israel. I agree with so, that. So, well, wait a minute. Here, here's what she's. No, but wait a minute. I don't know that you would fully agree. Okay. Because her position is this: Paul believed that that uh, the eschaton was immediate. And that his that and and she ties that with the belief, with acceptance of the idea that Paul said, tells Gentiles to stay uncircumcised and not to observe anything of Israel. All oh, they I had see. to do was be found. All they had to do was believe in Messiah, abandon pagan paganism, and wait. That's her picture that she paints of Paul. That that's what Paul's message is. Is that he's telling Gentiles, don't observe the, the Torah of Moses is not for you. All you have to do is abandon idolatry, trust in Christ, and wait for his wait for his immediate coming. And that's she freeze frames it there. And and I disagree with that. I do too. Uh, so. Okay, hang on. But now let's let's uh, listen to the last uh, paragraph. Now, now we're at the last paragraph. What we call Christianity is post-Pauline. Indeed, arguably, it is even unpauline. If we want to, uh, to understand Paul's gospel and Paul himself in his own context, we will interpret it and him, not over against Judaism, but within it. Yeah, and that's a false, that's a straw man. There why is do, no why one, do you say that? Because no, there is no monolithic Judaism. I understand. The okay, Ju- he, yeah, I we agree. Don't even, we I don't agree. have to look at Paul's, here's, here's my point. We don't have to look at Paul's messages to Gentiles to to understand there's polemic. We can just look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, look at Sadducees, look at Pharisees. Right. They were there was not. Uh, it was a contested issue. Who is Israel was a contested issue. Um, the whole point of and uh, and Paul like, and Paul Torah, and Paul itself. Paul lays that out though, right? Oh, that's not Torah. This is Torah. Paul, Paul Paul lays out. Who I mean, Paul is actually coming into the conversation and. And and challenging Char- who yeah, is very, yeah he who Israel very, is yeah he, Paul comes into a uh, an argument basically and and here's why he needs to dive into that and it's why it's beautifully orchestrated by God to to call Paul and and put him to work for the kingdom is because you have Gentiles now being drawn to the God of Israel rightly so but they're come Gentiles are coming to worship the God of Israel and they're they're finding a house with a bunch of people arguing with each other right and they're like what do we do <laughs> who do like if you imagine a gent so Josephus tells Josephus is a Cohen and he he's like well I spent time with this group I spent time with that group and I spent time with that group to try to learn which one was the best of our people. Even right. Josephus, an insider Cohen, has to go to the bookstore and like study all the different Jewish sects to find out which one he thinks is right See, on. How much more is a Gentile coming going to be confused? And that that's the problem. See, but I, I, I I'm read her last comment differently than that. Because what I what I understand her saying is that we have to interpret Paul's words within the f- framework of New Testament Judaisms and not within the framework of creating a new religion. Caleb, if she would have if she would have written what you just said, I would agree. But the the way she uses the word Judaism throughout um, is it it's it's almost like, well, here's here's the big case. Here's the big tell. And I I, I pulled up some scriptures that we can refer to. It's on the page uh, 203. She talks about how Israel knows God, but the Gentiles don't know God. Israel knows God, Gentile, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's like seven or eight times where she uses the word know, and that it's Israel knows God, but the Gentiles don't know God. And this is wrong. This is, it's, it's uh, rudimentary, or not even rudimentary. It's, it's uh, like first grade. Because we know the word "know" is covenant, right? right? Yes, and it's God who knows right. is what matters. Because even Paul in Galatians four, you know, he tells Gentiles. Paul plays with the idea that she has because he's trying to communicate, but then he he ups it. So Galatians four eight. However, at that time when you did not know God, 
You did not know the God of, uh, of the scriptures. You were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, and then he clarifies, rather, to be, you are known by God. And what Paul's doing there, he's helping them clarify an, a core theological rock from, from the scriptures of Israel, which is it's God who does the knowing. At Genesis 18, 19, I have known him. This is Abra- God talking about Abraham. Amos 3, 2, you only I have known. Uh, Hosea 3, right? So can, can, I, can I just say one thing here? Because I think that uh, this is an important uh, an important aspect. This is not just Paula Fredrickson either. Uh, actually, I just had a conversation with a Christian uh, recently that did the exact same thing, which is they are they are interchanging Israel and Jews or right. and Jewish. Okay. In other words, yeah. Jewish or Jew would be uh, can bring along an ethnic, uh, a flavor to it. Now, in other words, descended from Jacob is someone who is Jewish, right? Yeah, descended from Jacob, somebody who's Jewish. Okay, Israel is not necessary. It's a people group. It's a nation group, but it's not necessarily a bloodline. In other words, Paul tells us specifically that people, you know, that the unnatural branches can be grafted in. In other words, Gentiles can be can become part of Israel. We see this specifically in Exodus when a mixed multitude comes out from Egypt, right? And now all of a sudden you have Jew and Gentile together being referred to as Israel. And so when scholars and when just your average Christian or even your average Messianic or Hebrew root person who uh, refer who is able to interchange Jewish and Israel, this is not right. This is not the way that the right. scriptures talk about Israel. And here's, here's where I, I think her article just totally misses. Like Jeremiah, he says, those who handle the Torah did not know me. Right? right. Jeremiah 4.22, my people are foolish. They do not know me. That doesn't um, mean that they don't know about God. They right, know about him. It's covenant relationship. Not. And then in John 8, they, the, these Jews said to Yeshua, where's your father? He says, you know neither me nor my father. Right. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Right. Right. So the idea here, and then in John eight fifty five, you have not come to know him, but I know him. And then um, he says in John four twenty two, he's talking to the Samaritan woman. He says, you guys worship what you do not know. He's talking to the Samaritans. Right. Now, they worship, they have Yod HaYivave in their Torah, right? They have a Torah of Moses. But he says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Yehudim. Okay, now, that's, but it's Jews versus Samaritans, right? He's trying to tell, he's like, look, the Samaritans don't accept, accept the kingdom of David. They don't accept the southern kingdom. They don't accept the Davidic, Solomonic the prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah, right? So when, when in 422, when Yeshua says, you guys worship what you do not know, that's true. The Samaritans mean they have a knowledge of God somewhat, but they don't, they don't really know fully. We worship what we know. He's not talking about all Jews everywhere worship what we know, because later he, he tells Jews that they don't know the Father. Right. So why is this important? And, and here's the thing. If you took a Pharisee from the first century and an, uh, let's say someone from Qumran, and they're going to talk to each other. They're each going to say the other person doesn't know God, doesn't right. know the truth. Right. Okay. So for, for Paula Fredrickson to characterize Israel as knowing God and then just building and then taking off and making all these claims about Paul going to the Gentiles, um, what, what, what she does, if you take her at her word, if you accept her picture, what it does, it creates a space for this. It creates a space, let Jews be Jews, right? Let Christians be Christians. Don't Christians need to uh, understand that they they owe a debt to Judaism, and they they actually have to apply some of actual Jewish things to their life, and and don't be hostile towards towards Jews. Um, but it also has this thing where 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 Orthodox Jews don't need the gospel. That's the, there's this kind of elbowing of this space of where the that Israel already knows God, so. They don't need the gospel, right? Because they already know God, and that's that totally misrepresents um, not only the Tanakh, like we saw in Jeremiah and Isaiah, where my people, animals know me, but my people don't know me.
Dude, my like, wife. So my, my wife is pretty savvy, right? She's and she's also very funny. And I was saying, like, you know, oh, this person believes that uh, we we shouldn't evangelize the Jews because the Jews, they have they already have the truth. As long as they don't, you know, accept a false Messiah or whatever, they they have the Messiah. They just don't know it. They're and in. She, they're in because they're Jewish. Yeah. And she looks at me and she goes, she just plain as day. Well, that's really convenient, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Very convenient. Yeah, I don't have any I don't have any idols in my heart. I don't I don't need uh, I don't need yeah. Well, in other words, and what it does is it is it makes you know Yeshua says, I came for the lost lost sheep of Israel. Well if if Israel's in, what does that mean? If if Israel, you know, if if the Jews don't have to, and I know I just I just used Israel and Jew synonymously, right? But you know if the Jews are in, and and you're going to say that there is part of Israel, there, there is an element because this we were talking about the Judaioi, the who are the Judeans or the Jews, like in the Gospel of John last week with the article in the upcoming book by Adele Reinhardt, who's the editor of JBL. So um, here's the thing: if you look at the use of the word Israel in the Gospel of just do a do a search. Uh, get all the places where Israel is used in the Gospel of John. Limit it. Just limit yourself to Gospel of John, and you'll get this: Israel and Jews. Okay, and and look at the context. What what the Gospel of John is doing is not like Adele Reinhardt's is saying. Oh, it's 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 fostering hostility and hatred of Jews. No, no, it's calling Jews to their high to the to a high to standard of, yeah. to the memory of the scriptural promises of who Israel is. So Yeshua is called, for example, the King of Israel, twice in the Gospel of John. He's also called the King of the Jews. Right. right. But the idea is is to prod these Jews who have become what stiff-necked, hard of heart, thinking they don't, thinking that just this identity as being Jewish is somehow. They're in because they know here's and here's the danger. If you if you were raised at let's say in Jerusalem as a Jew in the first century, and you knew that the Samaritans were wrong, well you would know. I could have knowledge of why. Yeah, we all agree. We know the Samaritans are wrong. We know we're right because we accept the Davidic Psalms and the prophets, and we you know Jerusalem is the place God chose. You know, so you could build up a pride as a Jew that way, right. over against Samaritans. And what Paul's doing, he's like, or what, well, Paul too, but what Yeshua's doing is like, wait a minute. Being a Jew doesn't mean that you stay in this place where you have this knowledge over against um, the Samaritans, and then you leverage that as like a pride of like, we're in and you're not. If you're doing that attitude, you're not really a Jew in your heart. You're just playing one. Right. Because the, the, true, the true Israel is what... What Yeshua says in John 1 when he sees Nathanael, he says, Behold an Israelite in whom is no guile. And then what does he say? How did you know? How did you, you know, he says, I saw you when you were under the tree. And he says, you are the king of Israel. So we, we're not given all this detail of, of what was Nathanael praying and, and he had a vision. And then, and then Yeshua way later is saying, yeah, by the way, I saw you. He's like, how did anybody see me, you know? The idea is Yeshua is identifying who is true Israel, and he's calling those who are called Jews to remember and reframe what they mean by that term with respect to the scriptural heritage of and promises of Israel. Right. And that's what you're saying, Caleb, that it's not a local group now that we're against the other group, right? Or um, Because Yeshua brought the same message to the Samaritans. They both needed repentance, right? Jews needed to repent. Galileans needed to repent. Samaritans need to repent. Gentiles need to repent. Right. Um, so, but that's what we're getting into when we talk about first century and understanding these texts. So, uh, for those who are just joining us, the article that we've been talking about is by Paula Fredrickson in the most current issue of the JBL. That's the Journal of Biblical Literature. Um, the uh, yeah, it's called it, "How Jewish Is God?" Define. Right. A- Divine ethnicity in Paul's theology, and uh, in my opinion, I would say that this article is a begit, <laughs> a begit article. Uh, you could borrow it if you really wanted to, but the JBL is is uh, is a great resource. Uh, you just have to know what you're what what you're looking at. I hope this conversation has been good for everybody, and uh, I hope that it's been informative in some way. Uh, we have had a abundance of great 
comments and questions and emails and phone calls in the past couple of weeks. Um, and we would encourage everyone to keep them coming. And you can do that by giving us a call at 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. You can also write us email, chegg at torresource.com. That's C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. We covet your prayers as well. Um, please be praying for us. We, uh, we Lord knows we need it. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we, we don't just deal with this show. Uh, there's a lot of different uh, things that we're doing all the time, the entire staff at Torah Resource. So if you uh, remember us in prayer, we'd be very thankful. Um, until next time, we do have some things already to talk about next week. But you know what? We still want to hear what you want to tell us. So make sure to use those uh, contacts that we uh, have already provided for you. And uh, let us know what you want us to talk about. And if you've written us and we haven't gotten it to it, we'll try to next week when we try to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah, because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.